This is Bookshelf Banter, where you'll get to meet new indie authors. Be sure to check them out. You just may discover your new favorite author. guys, welcome back to Bookshelf Banter. This week I'm talking to author Kathleen Oldworth Foster. She's the author of the historical fiction novel Donna Rail Court. Um, she has been a journalist for 25 years and she is a fountain of knowledge. Uh, she did a lot of research for this novel. It's the story of the First Lady Freemason. I learned a lot of things that I did not know, and I'm sure you will too. I feel like my IQ actually went up talking to Kathleen because she's just so knowledgeable and articulate, and it was just such a wonderful conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Bookshop Banter. Thank you. Um, so Kathleen is the author of um, Donna Rail Court. Story of the Lady Freemason. So I started reading it last night. It is quite a riveting tale. I'm about halfway through and I'm like, all right, now I have to stop reading to go talk to the author. So oh, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I did. I, I, well, I'm liking it so far. It's, it's very interesting. I, um, don't know much about the Freemasons mm-hmm. and I'm assuming not too many people know much about it. So mm-hmm. can you kind of like give us the a brief synopsis, like what they were and what their deal was? Yeah, Freemasonry is kind of shrouded in mystery, right? And I think that they uh, like it that way and they want it that way. But I think that what Freemasonry is today um, may not be what Freemasonry was then during her time. I had a Freemason recently say, say, or I heard him say, uh, that Freemasonry is the oldest self-help group in the world. And that's really what it is today. It's an, it's a charitable organization. It's an, it's an organization that is now for men and women. However, there's still the, the regular Freemasons is still a male only fraternity. And these men join in the hopes of bettering themselves to be the best men that they can be. And they, in the course of that, perform rituals that are hundreds, if not thousands of years old. And they're filled with allegories that teach a moral lesson. And through every degree that they earn, they, are, they learn different moral lessons. That is what I have gained as an outsider. And I had a Freemason mm-hmm. tell me that I'm really the, per- the perfect person to write this book because I'm as blind as the main character, Elizabeth or Busy <laughs> is, you know, as she is peeling away the onion, I-, I am peeling away the onion. So in the course of writing this book, I tried to stick to only what she would have seen in that first, that first night in the, in the, her initiation. And in subsequent books, I will learn more and she will learn more. Oh, okay. <laughs> now it almost sounds like Boy Scouts, but <laughs> yeah, in a way. It, kind of. And I think that there are a lot of organizations like this, like the Elks. I have friends who are in the Elks who say that um, after reading this book, it's very similar. The Shriners do like a lot of um, work for charities and stuff like that. 
and they're well. an offshoot. Yes, and they're an offshoot oh, okay. of Freemasonry. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's a lot of offshoots of Freemasonry. Got it. Okay. But well, I'm not to the point where it seems anything less than nefarious right now. So right. I'm getting all right. Let's let's just get started with you. So okay. you you are a journalist by trade, correct? Yes, I spent the past 25 years of my life working as a journalist, uh, uh, particularly in television news. Oh, wow. Okay. Are you still working as a journalist? Or? No, I left, I left my job in TV news about a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I now teach people how to be on TV. I'm a media oh. trainer now. And I still write articles from time to time. And I work in public relations now. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And and writing, of course. Writing, of course. I need to get started on the uh, the sequel to this book. Starting to plot it out. Well, actually, I've been plotting it out for years, but now I have to actually start writing it out. So you're more of a plotter. Well, with something I'm like this, I would think, yeah, you kind of really have to be a plotter. This isn't something you can just... No, oh, a story yeah. like this has a definite beginning, middle, and end, and you have to you have to get to those points. Now, you did this. This is like based on genealogical research. What exactly does that entail? So, genealogical research is the study of your own family history and mm-hmm. the tracing of your ancestors. So, you take yourself, and then you you study your, your you write down the dates of your mother and your father and your grandparents and your great grandparents and and people are are interested in seeing where they're where, where they come from especially americans right all americans come mm-hmm. from, from except for native americans come from somewhere else so right. and, a lot, and a lot of people don't know their family histories their their grandparents didn't share them share these stories with them for whatever reason in my family it wasn't so much that way uh, my family was always very interested in sharing uh sharing stories, but not so much documentation. So my journey here began with my name. My name is Kathleen. My first name is Kathleen. My middle name is Aldworth. And I was named after my dad's grandmother, mm-hmm. who was named Kathleen Aldworth. And she apparently had a lot of stories to tell about this illustrious Aldworth family. And my mom was very interested in listening to her stories and told them all and made, made sure that I knew knew them all. And one of them was an Aldworth signed the Declaration of Independence. Oh, well, okay. when I was in high school, I I looked at it, you know, <laughs> there's no Aldworth on the Declaration of Independence. So I just figured, you know, it was like a, a tall tale. She also said that I could be a daughter of the American Revolution if I just did the paperwork. So I, oh, started, wow. <laughs> I started on that journey. And in that journey, um, my friend's mother was helping me and she said, no, you're, this family's from Ireland. Oh, okay. So um, she also found no Aldworth on the Declaration of Independence. But when I started researching the, the Lady Freemason, and I can get into how I found her, <laughs> uh, I discovered that her Aldworths and my Aldworths were both from County Cork, mm-hmm. something I didn't know before. And um, it turns out that the Aldworth that signed the Declaration of Independence was Elbridge Jerry. And Elbridge Jerry was uh, vice president under Madison. He was one of the founding fathers. He was an avid Freemason and he um, signed the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> so his great, great, great grandmother was another Elizabeth Aldworth. So sure enough, an Aldworth did sign the Declaration of Independence. She was right. Yeah, she did. 
Wow, you did your research and found that one. <laughs> that actually came to me in the middle of the night. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, what did she know? She had to have known something. And I finally punched in the right combination in Google. And I found it in uh, the Connecticut Daughters of the Revolution, of the American Revolution. And uh, I traced it back there. And then I pulled a, ped a pedigree from the New York Public Library that confirmed that he was an Aldworth and people on his tree overlapped with the Lady Freemasons. So they're definitely related. Where I oh, fall wow. into this, I don't know. Oh, wow. That, that's a lot of work to find, <laughs> to find <laughs> yeah. out that information. Like, I'm assuming you probably did one of those DNA things at some mm -hmm. point in time. Yeah. Okay, fascinating. Like you could just go back and you're like, oh yeah, you might be related to this person. You create this tree that's like 400, 500 years old. And it's really it's neat. Fasc it is fascinating. Um, with, for my family, they were very much like yours where they, they talked about where they came from. And even like my, um, my mom's family is from Italy and like, I even knew they were from Calabria and like, you know, the, the towns that they were from. So I was not really shocked with my DNA results when it came back 47% Italian and, you know, mm -hmm. the rest Irish, Scottish and stuff. So everybody was very open, but I'm always, I'm always floored when people have no idea what their ancestry is at all. Right. You know, right. I've had friend, friends do this and they're like, oh, I didn't know I was German. I didn't know I was, you know, Swedish. And you're like, how did you not have any clue what you were? And they're like, well, my parents not, never didn't know what they were and nobody talked about it. It's I just, think people identify with last names often. You know, yeah. my, my dad's last name was was German. My the name I grew up with was German. But I found out through DNA that I'm much more Irish than I am German. You right, know, right. there were a lot of women in there that were Irish. <laughs> Just because right. you have a German last name doesn't mean everybody in there was German. Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, my grandmother used to do that. Oh, that's a German last name, or that's a Swedish mm -hmm. last name, or that's a mm -hmm. you know Greek last name. And we're like, okay, grandma, you know what? They may not be completely from that ancestry. Right. But and and you can't go by it now at all. At all, everybody's so mixed at this point in time. Was all that research what inspired your story? Yeah, I mean, this this Elbridge Jerry thing inspired the story. But then what makes it even crazier, and my dad thinks that this, I was just preordained to write this book. I went to the pyramids of Egypt for, oh, wow. Y2, for Y2K 2000. So oh, I just, remember that fun? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I went to the Middle East alone for that. And I oh, met wow. a man there, a British man, because Aldworth is actually a British name. So Elizabeth Aldworth's family was, they were Anglo-Irish family. They were English landowners living in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And he was the one to first tell me he was in Egypt studying Freemasonry's ties to Egypt. And I mentioned something about my middle name. And he said, oh, well, did you know that the first ever female Freemason was named Elizabeth Aldworth? Oh, no, I didn't know that. So that was the first time I ever heard of her. I didn't really do much with that information. You know, I was 25 years old, year 2000. Right. But I held it with me. Um, fast forward until about the year 2006. I was back in the Middle East. This time I was working in Israel. I was covering a war between Hezbollah guerrillas and Israel. And I was up in northern Israel. And I had to leave my assignment to go meet up with my family for a pre-planned genealogy trip oh, to wow. Ireland mm -hmm. and right before I left Israel I had one quiet day 
I um, went to go do some research online and I expected to to research my Roscommon relatives, you know, different names. But instead I punched in Aldworth and up pops the lady Freemason. And that's when I found out she was from County Cork. Mm. So we landed in Shannon and I told my dad, you know, hey, you know, I told you about that lady Freemason with an Aldworth. Well, it turns out they live you know, here in County Cork. And the guy he had hired to drive us around said, oh, yeah, sure. That house where that whole thing took place is still standing. You want to go? We're like, what? <laughs> so we all get in this bus and he drives us straight to Donnerill Court. So the house where Elizabeth St. Ledger, who is the character named Busy in our mm-hmm. book, witnessed the initiation of one of her neighbors and thus was ended up being initiated herself is still standing so it's her ancestral home and it's in Donnerill County Cork Ireland it's now owned by the state of Ireland and it's one of the most popular tourist attractions in County Cork now oh wow so when I first went there in 2006 it was still kind of it was kind of falling apart uh Uh, It was not open to the public. And uh, since then, Ireland has put millions of dollars of work into it and has reopened it to the public. So I plan to go back there uh, soon, uh, maybe hopefully at the end of May, to do a reading and an official book launch at the house. Oh, very cool. Ireland. Awesome. Ireland let me inside the house before they reopened it back in 2013. So I was allowed to walk around the house, get a feel for the house, smell it, imagine what it was like, you know, during Elizabeth's time and and start to write my book back in 2013. It was really special. Oh, wow. So that's that's when it started. You've been, mm. you've been writing this for like seven, eight years now. Yes. Oh, yeah, almost, almost 10. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, well, so that was the first thing you did. What what happened after that? Like when you got back to the States? So, uh, yeah. So the research really began in 2006 after going to the house for the first time. Then I really started writing it in 2012, 2013. I mean, I could have researched forever. I could have researched the family history forever. I could have researched Freemasonry forever. But I got to a point where I had to stop. Originally, I thought maybe I would write something nonfiction. But there really isn't enough known about the night this happened. And there isn't enough known about her life around this time or even directly right after it. So I made the decision to give historical fiction a shot. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I decided to do. And that started back in 2013. So I started writing. Then I started doubting myself. Then I started <laughs> writing again. Then I started doubting myself again. And then, you know, confirming that I wasn't a direct descendant of hers. I thought I didn't have the right to write this book. And then I decided, you know, I really wanted to get pregnant. And then I went through IVF and struggled with that, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> And ended up having twins, identical twins. So five years passed with those two. And I finally got back to it this past year after leaving my job and finding editors who could help me polish it. And I decided to self-publish and it's doing well. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful book. I got to, I got to tell you, you're the fourth person that I've had on this podcast that has twins. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're the fourth person. So yeah, these and, two like, be... I, they you know I only had one embryo and they split. <laughs> oh, he, well, my daughter was actually my daughter was actually a twin because I went through IVF too after like 
horrible stuff going on. And uh, she, we tell her she ate her twins because she was actually, they were actually twins until about eight weeks. And then all of a sudden there was only one. And I was like, okay. Well, no, it's a good thing. I couldn't take two of her. Honestly, (laughs) I, I, uh, yeah. (laughs) I was um, like, well, you know, I love you to death. And um, I'm just glad there was only one of you because two of you probably would have put me in an early grave. It's a lot of work. It's a uh, lot of work. But yeah. I gave them both the Aldorf name, too. Oh, nice. Very nice. Two boys, two girls. Two girls. Uh, Elizabeth and Mary. They're both. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> one from the named, book. One, ah, of the, one of them is named Elizabeth. Not exactly after the Lady Freemason. Uh, I We wanted to. I'm named after my great grandmother. They're both named after one of their great grandmothers too and I wanted to pass on the Aldworth name it meant so much to me to have it but I couldn't just give it to one of them so I had to give it to both of them and they both really love it too oh that's really that's a really good so they have something to to say about it like there's a story behind it you know it's great when people have a story behind their names or (laughs) they're very (laughs) cognizant of the lady freemason they refer to her as the other elizabeth oh that's great so what are they like five six now they they're almost six they'll be six in april have you ever written anything like nonfiction? no so this was your first shot this was anything very very hard for me to do extremely extremely difficult to let it go I, yeah. I would assume like historical fiction would be, you know, very difficult to write because you, even though, you know, it's not nonfiction, you don't have to get every detail, right? You have to get it accurate enough that it's believable. Right. So that part know? of it was appealing to me as a journalist and as mm-hmm. a researcher, but the, 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 I had to make up some purely fictional characters in order to flesh out her world. And that was very challenging for me and that's when I I called in people to help me I got in two developmental editors who moved whole you know this this chapter belongs here this belongs here this is a plot hole you need to fill this 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 and then I and and after that I was just completely paralyzed like (gasps) you know can I do this can I do this and I said listen I need another editor to work with me I need you to help me do this. And I found a wonderful girl who, who basically taught me how to do this. And, and, and what is, then this is the outcome. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. (laughs) I think you should be. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, but it's, like I said, it's very riveting. I'm, you know, I started it last night and I'm almost halfway through. So you're doing, you did something right. Yeah. And then it was, I I think I rewrote it 16 times over the summer. So well, that's very common. That's, you know, how many times can you rewrite something? And then as soon as you hit publish, it's like, oh, you know what? I should have done this. And it's not. It's, it's dread. So you are a bona fide author. Ah, you went through that process. You know? Someone on Moms Who Write said, um, I was so sick of the book by the end of my proofreading. She yep. said, well, once you're sick of it, you know it's time to go. It's time it's, to publish. It's time to let it go. Well, sometimes I'm sick of it for the second, you know, the second read around. But you definitely have to put a little bit more in than, than that. I. It's- you really do have to let it go knowing it's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect. Well, you know what I, I like to do? I kind of, and this has been my problem, I think, for the last year, put it aside for a couple of months and then go back to it. And when you go back to it, do you like what you're reading? 
Or is it? And I certainly did that plenty of times over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think after a decade, you would definitely need to to uh, go back to it quite a few times. Yeah, and and go through it. I I was laughing too. I was I was actually reading it for a little bit at work today, and I was got to the spot where she said, um, "Oh, for God's trousers." Oh yes, <laughs> and I just started laughing. I was like, I never heard that one before, and it just it really cracked. So that I love that you I knew you were going to say that. First of all, it's very funny. So I was I looked that I looked it up. I was trying to find, a, you know, a, you know, like a curse word from that era. <laughs> and I, God's trousers was something they said. And I thought that was hilarious. So I, I put that in. And when I was first looking for publishing companies to help me out, I had a very bad experience with with one. Uh, and ended up doing everything myself. But uh, I had one turn me down because of God's trousers. What? <laughs> Why would they turn down for that? I guess, Did they... I guess they turned out to be some religious publisher I didn't know uh, at the time. But the, their board had a problem with God's trousers. Oh, my God. And they... I refused to change that. <laughs> No, it was hilarious. I'm yeah. like, I never knew this was a curse word. I was assuming it was a curse word. Or then I was thinking, oh, maybe it's just, you know, like one of her idiosyncrasies. Like, nope, real. No, it's a real thing. I'm yeah. Like, what does it mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't God know. doesn't like, wear pants. Yeah. I, I, God's underwear, I really think is what it means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that definitely sounds worse than God. <laughs> that great oh so so if you had this you got the movie rights for this who would you want to play your main characters well I'm so glad you asked this because I have a friend in Ireland Sheila who's been my my alpha reader right for the the very beginning she has read every version of this book for the past 10 years yes Uh And every time she comes up with a cast of Irish actors (laughs) for me and this latest group, um, I don't know half of them, but she's convinced that someone named Robert Sheehan should play a Rundle, and a guy named um, Kieran Hines should play Mick, the gardener, who is the hero, and another guy named Owen Mackin, she says, should play, uh, you know, Busy's love interest, Richard Aldworth, and mm-hmm. a girl named Katie McGrath should play Busy. Now, I, it's funny, like, I look at my at the the cover and that girl looking out. She kind of looks like Claire Danes a little bit. Oh, and Claire Danes, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's old. You're dating right. yourself there. Well, like ten years ago, maybe Claire Danes could have done it, or yeah. like Amy Adams. I used to think, but now maybe they could play Lady Donnerell now. Oh, Amy Amy Adams, yeah, she's got that that spunk and you know sassy kind of attitude. I I kind of envision somebody very sassy playing you know busy. Because you, you know, uh, ask, do, do now and ask for permission later. Not yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Did you watch Normal People? Mm, it's, a, it's the Sally. No, movie. I don't. I love everyone from Normal People and The Lost Daughter. There's um, this guy named Paul Mescal in um, Normal People. He's also in Lost Daughter. And I could see him playing uh, Richard and uh, Daisy Edgar Jones. She was the the lead character in Normal People. I could see her playing playing busy too. Mm-hmm. Are you? And you're working on the sequel now. Yeah, I got to start writing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, take pretend you're not going to write the sequel. How about if you wrote a memoir? What would the title be if you wrote a memoir? 
like something like scrappy you know I think I think I've been really scrappy my whole life you know I'm small I'm a small little person and I think I'm I think I'm underestimated a lot yes I am a, a a on the petite side as well um now under five foot due to uh geriatric shrinking I'm gonna call it I don't know I used to be five foot now I'm four eleven and a half so yeah people do definitely underestimate you and it's like oh I didn't think you had that attitude well I have to have that attitude because you know you think I'm not as fierce as I as I can be so that's yep. that's definitely a good a good title scrappy <laughs> <laughs> that's great what what do you wish people knew about you I, I think along the the same lines as that you know that that everything I have I've 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 made my own luck right mm-hmm. you know I've fought hard for everything I've gotten from you know getting into college to the jobs that I have and you know like that 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 job in television I applied for it three times before I finally got that job my kids you know went through IVF five times before I finally oh got my kids gosh. this book you know like every single thing that has meant a lot to me in my life has not come easily I have fought very very hard for it so I think that sometimes social media can make um, things look easy and yes. that would be something I want people to know is that I have made my own luck and I have fought hard for everything I've oh, gotten. I, I feel I feel you with that I, I I think people definitely take for granted what they see at the end of the process with the end um, you know the end picture mm-hmm. and they don't understand what people have been through. I mean, I, I think our story, not that I was a journalist, but I think our stories are very similar where we, I fought for a lot of the things that I had, mm-hmm. you know, made, made my own way. We, my, I got married at 21. Oh my. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I like, we, we had like, I don't even know. We, we didn't even have a pot to piss in and mm-hmm. we, we managed to make our way. And now people are like, Oh, well you have this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I don't have that. And I'm like, nobody handed that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we earned that. And mm-hmm. yes, maybe we're comfortable now, but we, there were many, many, many years where it was really rough and it was like paycheck to paycheck. And like, it's very hard for people to see the journey you went on without, you know, seeing the finished picture and saying, oh, well, it, it's great for you now. Well, no, you know, we yeah. went through a lot. Yeah. And I need to remind myself of that too. When I see people on social media traveling and having a great time and, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm stuck here. I can't afford to go anywhere right now. I need to remember, <laughs> you know, that the grass is not always greener on the other side and, and everyone has their struggles and everyone is, has their rewards. What are you reading right now? Do you even have time to read? <laughs> no, but I've got, I've been reading, uh, actually, one of the moms who write, we're both part of this group on Facebook, right? Moms who write groups. I'm reading mm-hmm. Amethyst, who's uh, was written by one of the moms in our group, K.L. DeMago. And okay. I have been reading that since December. Oh. But it's interesting. It's it's the first fantasy book I've ever read. Mm-hmm. So I've ne- I've, I'm completely unfamiliar with the term fae until reading this book, mm-hmm. but it's also um, like uh, pirate ships and merchant ships in the 1600s. So it really appeals to my historical fiction uh, 
genre, you know, me. And then I'm also reading another fellow author, um, Reinvent Your Life by Kathy Sharp Ross. Uh, it's a, this is a nonfiction book, but, you know, I'm in the process of reinventing my life right now. And and I, I'm reading other people's stories and how they have, um, you know, turned into butterflies. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a good time to be moving on to things because I think so many people are doing making changes and stuff like that I'm really inspired by a lot of people not like we said we don't know what's going on behind closed doors on Facebook but a lot of people are making um you know sweeping changes and stuff like that and it's just kind of inspiring to see people do following their dreams and everything like that this is it's one of the, it's the one of the best things to come out of this pandemic. Yeah. Is how people have reinvented themselves. They've seen staying home how much more time they've gotten with their kids and how they didn't mm-hmm. want to give it up and they're trying to figure out how they can work from home and companies are seeing that people can be just as productive working from home. So I, I think it's wonderful and you know there's less pollution from people driving in and driving and commuting and I I th- I, I think as a whole people seem happier. So were you always interested in history? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in um, in Pennsylvania in, in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. So you can't help but be slapped in the face with history <laughs> everywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I loved it. We lived in a house that was built in 1766. Yeah. And there were cemeteries. I love cemeteries. I love the, the history oh. of oh, written on. Oh, me too. On- it's so oh. creepy. Oh, I love it. I, 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 I know. When they have the stories of of how people lived and how they died. Oh, I love that. <laughs> or or I, I used to make them up myself, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. this, this person was only five years old. What happened to them? Or right. This person was only like 20. What happened to them? And and then I'd terrify myself. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to sleep for months. I'm already indoctrinating my girls. I'm like, do you want to go ride your bike in the cemetery? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, well, we are like where we live is one of the oldest towns in New Jersey. So there's a lot of like our cemeteries. There's like headstones from the 1600s. Yeah. Where so, are you? Um, in Woodbridge. Woodbridge. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rutherford. Oh, okay. So we're, we're very close. I mean, closer than anybody I'd like to read on this. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've got headstones that like you can't even read the dates on them anymore but the kids in in some of the classes used to go to the cemetery and make rubbings mm-hmm. you know from the the gravestones and yeah I love that <laughs> very they don't crazy. let you do that in a lot of places anymore well I think they were very they're very good with this this place I think if I'm correct I think it's one of the oldest cemeteries in New Jersey I could be wrong I don't know I love it. I love Washington, history. Washington slept here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he slept in most of New Jersey. <laughs> well, I, I hope to end my series in America in the that colonial revolutionary war era. Oh, I, nice. Yeah. Uh, last night in the middle of the night, I woke up. What I thought would be maybe two or three more books might actually end up being about five. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Don't you hate that, though, when you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen three books from now, but yeah. I can't get from A to B? Yeah. The beauty of it, though, is like, you know, in this first book, Elizabeth St. Ledger witnesses the initiation of a neighbor. They have to decide whether to kill her or make her the first ever female Freemason. The story goes, it takes place over the course of about a month. Then the next book could be, you know, uh, the entered apprentice. That's the, the first degree of Freemasonry in the Blue Lodge. 
Then the second, oh, okay. and then fellow craft is the second degree. Master Mason is the third degree. So I could go through her process of learning these degrees and her, you know, the, the moral lessons that she learns in every one of these degrees. Then I'm thinking maybe she needs to go to Jerusalem and oh, maybe do some okay. research on the Knights Templar. And then oh. eventually she needs to, she and Richard need to share their knowledge with the founding fathers here in America. Now, if it's not a spoiler, the, how, how long did she live? When did she die? So she died right before the Revolutionary War. She died okay. in 1775. Her so date's actually a little years. weird. Some, some things say 1772, some say 1775. But she died at 80 years old. And what is also fascinating about her is she died and she was buried beneath St. Finbar's Cathedral in Cork City. And about 100 years after um, she died, they decided to knock down the cathedral to build a new one. Mm -hmm. And when they were doing that, um, a Freemason was like, hey, you know, while we're here, why don't we pop up in her coffin and just take a look at the Lady Freemason? And they they (laughs) did. And they found her perfectly preserved. Stop it. (laughs) She probably just had a really good lead, you know, vault. But uh, yeah, perfectly. There's a description at the very end of my book. You'll see of what she looked like a hundred years after her death. You know, if she was Catholic, (laughs) if she was Catholic, they'd say, oh, she must've been a saint, but she wasn't Catholic. Oh, that, that is really, really Yeah, it's neat. So she must've been destined, preordained for this. Well, they, they say, right, that the Freemasons are some sort of like spiritual thing involved in it. You have to believe in a God, a higher, a higher being. Right. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be Christian. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who your higher being is. You just have to believe in something. But in in Freemasonry, they refer to, uh, refer to it as the the great architect. Oh, okay. All right. Now, this is probably completely, this is completely out of order. I should have asked this before. But wasn't this similar to the Da Vinci Code? Wasn't that about Freemasons too? It was, but, um, and, and. There's it's it's much more complicated, I think, than that. I'm trying to focus right, on right. Uh, yeah, on just the, the 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 good moral lessons that come out of it. Uh, Freemasonry, you know, the Da Vinci Code has uh, touches on a lot of uh, really interesting theories about what Freemasonry was in the periods where it wasn't written down and wasn't uh, recorded in history. Right. Really, really, Freemasonry hasn't been officially on the books as the social club charitable organization that it is today since only since like 1720s in Mm -hmm. England and 1725 in Ireland. So but but there's but they believe that these rituals date back possibly definitely to Jerusalem, but possibly all the way back to Egypt. So what was happening during the, you know, like the 1300s? There are some manuscripts during that time. What was happening during, you know, Jesus's time even? Like there's all sorts of theories and that's where the Da Vinci Code comes in is explore some of those theories. Yeah. No, I, I did find that movie, not movie, book. I watched the book. I didn't like, I, well, I watched the book. Oh my God. I need, <laughs> yeah. I need a nap. I read the book. Yeah. I don't think I watched the movie. If I did, I don't really remember the movie, but I do remember that when you said the Templar, um, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, that kind of like triggered something. And I was like, oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, there's um, a lot of there's a lot of theories that Freemasonry grew um, possibly from the Knights Templar and possibly from the medieval guilds that created and built the cathedrals across Europe. 
Mm. There's wouldn't a lot of be, a lot of theories. Wouldn't it be so cool if like when you die you discover all the answers to everything? I have that <laughs> conversation with my kids all the time. Like, okay, you die and then you get all the answers and like somebody comes to you with a book. Yeah, here you go. Here's the these the answers. Here, here's who killed Kennedy and here's like all the other things. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> all the conspiracy theories laid bare. <laughs> You know, my, my, my dad would be like, see, I told you this conspiracy. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I, I think that's what makes history kind of fascinating because you have all these different theories and no one really truly knows exactly what happened. Unless you were there, you, you really don't have the sense of what went went down. You know, even people that were there. like Right. For, it's subjective. For, Right, right. From our experiences, your experience, like yep. for nine eleven, and my experience for nine eleven, mm-hmm. were right. probably two different things. Exactly. Right? Especially if you were a journalist at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Live on the air in the control room. Yeah. Yeah, that had to be crazy. Yeah, crazy. it was. It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> well, well, I I love talking to you. I would love to talk I want to definitely talk to you when the next book comes out and I hope it's not 10 years from now me I'm too to... I will absolutely keep you posted oh uh, thank you so much I I will talk to you very very soon thanks bye-bye bye-bye thanks for joining me on this episode of bookshelf banter with author Kathleen Aldworth Foster please check out Donner Alcord I just finished it last night I loved it It was great. I can't wait for the sequel. Uh, Hopefully Kathleen is starting to write that soon so we can get that real soon. But honestly, seriously, check out Donna Court. It was a lot of fun. Um, I learned a lot of things and it was it was definitely entertaining. So definitely, definitely. How many definitely can I say? Go check that out. Really go do it until next time. Bye bye.